is a, this discourse that Jesus gave to this multitude who came to hear him preach. And basically, he's telling them about life. He's like, all these things that you're, you're dealing with in your life, this is what God thinks about them. And so whether it is um, money or whether it is just the sustenance of life, the things that we need to live, um, just before this passage that we're going to read, Jesus talks about the grass of the field. It says, if, if God clothes the grass, how much more does he care about you? If he cares about every little blade of grass and making sure that it pops up and grows, how much more does he care about you? And if God cares about the sparrows, if God cares about the birds of the air, how much more does God care about you? And so he goes on, and, and, and this is where we pick up in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 33, and this is what Jesus says. He says, but seek first. Say that, that word with me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, we like to focus on the added to you part, right? We, were, we are very much an added to you kind of culture. We like things to be added to us. Hey, you want to give me something free, man? I'll take it, right? You'll add it to me. You know, hey, have you got uh, another punch on your punch card? You know, nope, I don't, but you want to add it to me? Go ahead, give me that punch on my punch card. So we are very much that kind of culture that likes stuff added to us. But see, sometimes we focus way too much on that last part and not enough on the first part where he says, but seek first the kingdom of God. And that is where we have to put our focus today. Um, in English, when you think of the word kingdom, what do you think of? What comes to mind when you think of kingdom? Does anybody think of a castle? You know, Does anybody think of a king? You know, And so maybe you have these visions that come to mind. Maybe you think of jolly old England. Anybody? Does that kind of come to mind? Something that would be in England. You know, that's what I think of. Or Scotland or Ireland. Some place like that where they have you know, funny accents that make them sound really smart. You know, uh, instead of like a redneck accent like I have that makes you sound dumb. You know, and that could be the case. But anyways, I digress. Um, you know, when I think about this idea of kingdom and I think about this word kingdom, there are certain things that comes to mind. And so kingdom, you may think of castle, you may think of knights and shining armor and all that kind of stuff. But in the Bible, kingdom is not a, so much as a place as it is an activity. Kingdom is an activity more in Scripture than what it is a place. In, in our cultural context, we think of kingdom as a place, and, you know, you have the United Kingdom, uh, you know, and that we think of a place or places around the world, this, this idea of kingdom. But in Scripture, when we start looking at the biblical aspect of kingdom, it has more to do with an activity than so much a place. And yes, it may encompass a place, but you have to think in terms of activity. What is Jesus talking about when he talks about the kingdom of God? He is talking about something breaking into our world. He is talking about this idea that breaks into our world, that has purpose for us. It gives us, um, it, it gives us order and a pattern to follow and it's something to be shared. And when, so when he talks about kingdom, it has all these ideas that comes with it that sometimes we don't pick up on. And so kingdom is more of an activity when we talk about it in the Bible. The activity of making sure that first things are first. That is kingdom activity. Is that we make sure that the first things that need to go in first get put first. That is kingdom activity. And when you th think about God's kingdom, God has an order. 
He has structured not just creation, but he has structured uh, his kingdom in a way that there's order. And he wants us to see that. And so I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about some principles uh, called, called first principles, principles of first things. And um, really, when you start thinking about the Old Testament, there's a, a phrase in the Old Testament or, or, or a word in the Old Testament um, that maybe you don't use, but you know. Have anybody ever heard of firstborn? The idea of the firstborn, right? And anybody, hey, how many of you guys are the firstborn? Firstborn in your family, right? You know, you're the first, and so I'm going to talk about you just a little bit. The idea of firstborn and, and this idea of first things in the Old Testament, um, there's about four different ideas that um, kind of want to flesh this out for you. So the first thing is this. It is the first governs the rest. The first governs the rest. So when... Um, Someone is born first in the family. There's an idea that that firstborn is going to have authority uh, over the rest of the group. But when you take a seed, you think about it in, in terms of a seed. The seed that you plant in, a ground, in the ground, what's going to happen? That's going to dictate what pops up, right? That seed that you plant in, if it's an apple seed, you plant the ground, you're not going to pop, oranges aren't going to pop up, Right? Because the seed dictates what happens later. The seed dictates what pops up, what grows, what, what bursts forth. The seed dictates what happens next. So the first governs the rest. And that is the idea for us is that he's trying to get us to understand that the first of what we do is going to set the pattern for what comes later. Now, that can be good and bad. You, you can set, you can plant good seed. You could plant good seed, and I'm, I'm talking physical seed or in the sense of a spiritual seed, that you're planting seed, God, I'm planting this, I want this to come back, and we want you to do that. But there are some people who have planted bad seed. There are some things that we have done in our life that have you ever reaped something that you have sown, and it wasn't good. Come on, y'all. <laughs> I'm telling you, I have. That's painful. You want to talk about being out of order when my life has been out of order, it has been painful, and it's been painful for me, and it actually sometimes has ripple effects into the lives of other people, uh, especially if you're a parent, um, if you have children, if your marriage is out of order, if, if your relationship is out of order in that way, your home life be can become painful in that sense that there is, uh, there's this ripple effect that happens. And so when you think of the idea of planting a seed, whatever you plant, whatever you put in, that is going that dictate dictates what happens next. That's that's showing, hey, this is this is going to govern what happens next. So the first governs the rest. All right. We had a quote last week from uh, and I don't did you guys put this put that quote in there? I don't know if you if I gave it to you. The quote last week from Pastor Robert Moore. Um, he uh, he said this. He says every first has the potential to grow and develop into something more. The first has the potential to grow and to develop into something more. Once again, that could be good or that can be bad. You know, if, uh, if, you, if you're putting in stuff that's not good, you know, you're, you're going to get that back in another way. And so this idea of reaping and sowing, this idea of the seed that gets planted, the first governs the rest. Second idea of these first principles are, is also the first represents the total. 
The first represents the total. And this goes back to that idea that I said about the firstborn. How many of you guys are the firstborn in your family? You know, that this is a big idea in the Old Testament that the firstborn had uh, double inheritance, had, had a double blessing, uh, per se. And so, you know, some of us who are uh, the last child, I am the third of three. You know, I am the baby in the family. How many babies in the family do we have? Let me see. Come on. Shout out to the little ki- kids, right? Come on. Come on. We're, we're finding our way in the world. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, you have, you have us that are coming along, the, the tag-alongs, you know. Uh, you know, we, we're here. Then you have the middle kids. How many middle children are here? here? Yeah, how many middle kids? Y'all are just angry people because... You're kind of stuck. You're not the first, you know, and you're not the baby, you know, because the baby gets kind of cuddled and huddled and, oh, he's so cute. They're so cute. Oh, there's a baby, you know. It's like the middle child syndrome is I'm just overlooked by everybody. You know what I mean? Hello, here I am, you know. Don't. So, you know, if you're the middle child or, or the youngest child, uh, in the Old Testament, it could seem like you, you get, you know, you're getting stiffed on the blessing, right? Uh, it's like, hey, what's, what's going on here, God? But God does. He, there's this, um, more culture does, is that they've set up that there's this idea of uh, the firstborn, and the firstborn gets double blessing uh, or double inheritance, a bigger part of that. And that's because that the first represents the whole. Maybe some of you guys have had to be the representative of your family. If you've ever had to do that, you've had to go, listen, my family can't be here, but I stand in representation of them. See, when this culture was coming along, they didn't have Medicare. They didn't have Social Security, which we may not either, you know, at some point. But I'm not trying to be a downer, you know. But they didn't have it then. So the firstborn thing may be coming back, guys. But this firstborn thing is um, not only do they get a double blessing, it was because they also had great responsibility. Remember Spider-Man? With great power comes great responsibility. And that was the firstborn's job. The firstborn had it got double portion because they also had a greater responsibility. When mom and dad got old, who took care? The firstborn stepped up. It's my responsibility now to do that. And you pray to God that you had a good firstborn, right? You pray to God that that, that firstborn wasn't a loser and wasn't copping out and, and was doing the job. And so, hey, can we just turn those off? I'm, I'm getting, like, flashes up here. Uh, just pull the lights up. There we go. But that firstborn had a job. They get, um, they get a double portion. Hey, there you are. Wow. Hey, just wave at me. Okay. Hello. Hello. There you are. I didn't know who was here. Now I have spots in my eyes. Um, but that firstborn gets a double portion because they have a great job. They have to represent the total. They have to represent everyone. They have to represent the entire family. Some of you guys know what that's like, that you've had to represent your family. You've had to show up and stand up for mom and dad. Hey, I, I'm here to represent for my family. My mom or dad, they can't be here to do that. So you know what that's like. So the total, the first, is represents the total. The first governs the rest. The first represents the total. The first also belongs to God. First also belongs to God. I want us to read in uh, Exodus chapter 13, verse 2. And Blake, I'll just read it off the screen. Exodus 13, verse 2. Uh, this, is, this is what God says about this. He says, consecrate, and that's a big church word that you don't use outside 
I don't think anybody has used this word this week. You probably haven't gone to the bank and said, I consecrate this $100 into my account, right? I'm setting it aside. Consecrate means to really set aside to uh, market for something special. And so God says here, he says, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is first to uh, to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. He's talking about God saying that. He says it belongs to me. It's mine. He says your firstborn child is mine. Your firstborn sons are mine. Now, why is this a big deal? Because you think, why does God need our firstborn? Why Why does God need anything? God doesn't need anything from us. God can exist just fine without you and me, all right? But he chooses to exist with us, and he chooses to invite us into this. And what this is about is less about God needing our stuff and about God asking you and me to trust him with what's important to us. See, in that day, if I, had, uh, if, if I lived in an agrarian society and I had sheep and the first of my sheep were born and I had to give that first sheep back to God, um, that is a big trust factor. Because what happens if my my sheep doesn't produce anymore what happens if that's the only one i get god what happens if if that's all that that happens is i just get the one and i got to give it to you god god says are you going to trust me are you going to trust me that what comes first when you give me the first that i'm going to bless the rest see that's what that's about is that we trust god with what's first not because god needs anything from us but god wants something for us God wants for us to be a people who are blessed. God wants for us to be a people who are free. He does not want us to be a people who are consumed by greed. And so he says, the first belongs to me. This idea of first, the first principles, the first governs the rest. The first represents the total. The first belongs to God. See, this is just a statement I want to give you. You can't trust God with anything if you can't trust God with the first thing. You can't trust God with anything if you can't trust God with the first thing. Because a lot of times we'll say, well, God, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm going I'm to do this first, and then I'm going to give you what's left over. God, I'll promise you I'll, I'll come back, and I'll give you what's left over. See, we do that, and we think God's okay with that because God, you know, doesn't strike us dead with lightning bolts if we do that, right? He's more gracious than that. He's more loving than that. He's trying to lead us in this relationship. But if your neighbor came to your house, If your neighbor came to your house, stepped up on your porch, rang your doorbell, and had a platter where there used to be some chocolate cake, but now all that's left on that platter is some crumbs with some icing on it, and that neighbor looks at you and says, listen, this cake was really, really good. This is what's left over. I would like to give it to you and share it with you. What would you do? You would slam the door in their face and say, get off my porch, right? What kind of neighbor are you? We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that. We understand that if we want to bring something to our, to, to our neighbor, we would bring them the best, right? We're going to bring them the first piece. You know, we're not going to have, like, a, a big part of it cut out unless, unless you're just that type of neighbor, you know, and then you might need to look at how neighborly you're being. But, see, the thing about this is that we can trust God, and God wants us to trust him. It's an invitation for us to trust him. And, see, I've been walking this invitation for a long time, and God has proven to me over and over and over and over and time and time and time again that he can be trusted. 
How many of you guys, and I know I'm not alone, many of you guys in here have been walking that trust relationship out with God too? How many of you guys have seen God just show up in your life because you've been willing to trust him with the first and the best? You've been willing to say, God, this is, this is what you've given me, and so, Lord, I put this in your hands, and I trust you with what I have now, and anything that I'm ever going to have, it's because you allow me to have it. I acknowledge that, and I see that, and I trust you. If I can trust God with the rest, I definitely can trust God with the first, and I need to trust God with the first. So this is, we are this, this principle of the first. The first governs the rest. The, f- the first represents the total. The first belongs to God. And it's also true, this, this fourth one and, and last one here, is the first redeems the rest. The first redeems the rest. Someone has to go before and this is where we look and, and find Jesus stepping in to the picture, that Jesus steps in ahead of us. Jesus steps in ahead of us and begins to pave the way and begins to pay the sacrifice and begins to set things right. And there are titles that are given to Jesus, the firstborn from among the dead, the firstborn of all creation. And we begin to see this play out. So we find in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, if you could put that up for me. Romans 8, 29, and it says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In what? Order. And the kingdom is what? The kingdom is ordered. The kingdom has a pattern. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. See, Jesus has chosen. Jesus has gone before us. Jesus has paved the way. Not so that he can just be lifted up because he's bringing somebody with him. He's purchased us as the church. He has purchased us as the bride of Christ. And he brings us along with him to go before us. And what I love about this is when I think about my mortality, and anybody out there, the older that you get, do you think about your mortality? I think about my mortality. When I was 13 years old, I didn't think about that stuff because I was invincible. Now I'm 47, almost 48 years old, and I am not invincible anymore. And I feel it when I get up in the morning. My bones crack. You know, I hurt. And it's like, man, you know, I'm not going to be here forever. And so when I think about this idea of what Jesus has done, that Jesus went and he conquered death. Jesus conquered death for us. The firstborn among all creation. That he has gone before, and if he paid for it with his life, and he is the first of the resurrection, that means because he's the first of the resurrection, there's somebody coming by, beyond, behind, behind him, and that's us. That's us. We are the, the brothers and sisters who get invited to be part of that resurrection. It's not just Jesus who gets resurrected. He, he gives that to us as well, that we can obtain that as well through his purchase. So the first redeems the rest. He is the firstborn among the dead. He is the firstborn of, over all creation. We say this, and I'm going to ask Pastor Trent to come play. As we get ready to wrap up. When you look at the word kingdom, and we see this idea of kingdom, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Where do we find kingdom in the first place? Where do we first see this idea of kingdom in Scripture? Where does that, where does that reside? Where does that, where does that land? Well, it goes to Genesis chapter 1, and I want you to go there with me. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them 
that you are the ruler of a domain. It means you have a kingdom. And what God does is he has a kingdom. He has created a kingdom. Now, I don't have a kingdom. I'm not a king. But I follow a king. My daddy is a king. You know, that's all right. And, and he invites me to be part of that kingdom. He invites princes and princesses to rule and to subdue. And that's exactly what this is right here. He says that you should bear my likeness and that they should have dominion and rule over the fish of the sea and of uh, the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over everything on the earth, everything that creeps on the ground. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. You know what this tells me? This tells me that you're valuable. This tells me that God invites us to his created order to work in this pattern, to work in this order, to acknowledge that. And he says, you're valuable. If you've ever thought you were worthless, and some of you have. Some of you have no problem with that. Some of you think, I'm awesome. You know what? You look in the mirror and you tell yourself that every day. But some of you, you might tell yourself that and you've never believed it. You've never believed it. You've never believed that you're valuable because people have told you that you're worthless and that you you're not going to make anything. You're not significant. That is a life saving. What we find here in Scripture, he says, I invite you to rule with me. I don't want to do this alone. I don't want to do this by myself. Actually, I read, I had a quote yesterday that I, that I read, and I, I reposted it, and it says, God's beauty, God doesn't create beauty to hoard it for himself. God didn't create all this beautiful world and all the good that can be to hoard it for himself. He says, I want to share with you. I'm inviting you into this order with me, into this kingdom pattern, into this kingdom order, and I want you to help. I want you to help create places where you're beautiful. I want you to help create beautiful relationships. I want you to help make this world look like I intended it to look. We get the chance because God values us. He has placed his worth in us. This means that God values you. So what you've done is not who you are. What's been done to you does not determine your value. I want to say that one again. What's been done to you does not determine your value. What you've been struggling with does not have to define you. Your definition is Stop living the way everybody else thinks that we should live. 